Welcome back to LP Parsha Podcast, your weekly Torah portion podcast. Each week we'll do a light dive into this week's Parsha. We'll zoom in on a passage that catches our eye, and we'll connect it back to Judaism and our own lives. This week's Torah portion is Pinchas. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Saleka, and as always, I'm joined by Aaron Gotenberg. Hey Paul. Hey Aaron. What's uh I know you were just swooping in minutes ago. Where are you coming from? Uh as or one thing that I appreciate about about the parshas is that they connect with the seasons. We read the whole Torah every year, and so these parshiot that we're on now are like usually around the beginning of summer. So I feel like I'm finishing up my year, uh, including some of my roles, and one of those roles was being the Chesed intern at. Beth Zedek Synagogue in Toronto, which I think we've mentioned in previous podcasts. Uh, and one of my responsibilities is uh, leading, like announcing the pages for Mincha and Mariv and sharing a brief to our Torah, where I've also shouted out our podcasts. So thanks to everybody who's gotten here through <laughs> Beth Zedek. Uh, and yeah, it's just the last, last one for me. So I'm feeling a little bit sad about the endings and excited about the new beginnings. So you have to do a mini Devar Torah every Mincha Mariv? On Wednesdays. On Wednesdays. There's a different person in the spiritual leadership team who's assigned for different days of the weekly minion. That's so interesting. That means there's like a lot of Devar Torahs happening. In the synagogue every week. Yeah, it's supposed to be just a very short idea between Mincha, the afternoon service, and Mariv, the evening service, just to like break it up a little. And yeah, just like two or three minutes of some idea. For well, which I am often ready to go because we've already often chatted about it on the podcast. That's true. Like Like all podcasts, we do record one or two weeks ahead. So that's probably why you have a bit of a head start. Um, and this week's portion is Pinchas, which I believe is a name. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have really maybe a clear etymology like the other portions. Uh, I think it says it's from Wikipedia. So it says it's an Egyptian name. Um, I think maybe meaning yeah. Southern or something to that effect. I saw when I looked online that somebody at least put forward the idea that maybe it's connected to the Hebrew of Pinachash, the mouth of the snake. I don't know if that's true or not, but I thought that was colorful. Mouth of the snake, like... Uh... Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> Slytherin, yeah, exactly. This is this is the genesis of all those series. Like, uh, it just be such a funny name for, you know, it's like, um, like the name Mara, like meaning bitter. Like who's mm-hmm. naming their daughter Bitter? But like, uh, although like in romance languages, it just means like of the sea. So I was like, oh, who's naming their kid? Face, mouth of the snake, face of the snake, you know, like uh, snakes aren't all all bad, although they do have some biblical. uh, (laughs) I don't know which uh, portion this was in. I think it was last week's where there's the snake that they put up on a staff. Yes. A golden snake. That was last week. <laughs> uh, 
when all the people are like, get the snakes come in, attack the people. There is this golden snake, the Nehushtan, that is like also a symbol of, uh, health and often on, uh, pharmacies or at least old pharmacies. There's a picture of a rod with a snake around it as a symbol of here you can find healing things like the snake. So there's also that association with snakes mouths. And I was, what's that? That's so funny. I can totally imagine that thing you're describing, even though I haven't seen it for years, I don't think. Yeah. And that's where it's from the last week's Torah portion. And I also was listening to a podcast that was talking about how animals sense the world, their umwelts, and it was talking about uh, how snakes have a forked tongue, and actually they have chemical receptors on their tongue that allow them to pick up things in the air, so they're basically smelling with their tongues. And the reason that it's forked is they kind of spin around the different sides of their tongue to bring in the air on the different sides, and they're smelling in stereo, basically the same way that we like combine our left eye and right eye to be able to see like three dimensions. Snakes somehow can smell in three dimensions. It's like, oh, so interesting. So those are some of my associations with Pinachash, perhaps connected to Pinchas, perhaps not at all. If it's Egyptian, a Hebrew etymology doesn't make any sense. And it probably is Egyptian. Isn't ancient Egyptian also Semitic language? Uh... I don't think so. Is it? I don't oh, think so. Google, ancient Egyptian. Did that eventually become the Coptic language? Um, like that's uh, the liturgical language of the uh, Egyptian Christians. Ancient mm-hmm. Egyptian. They don't know yeah. where it's from. Uh, they think it's Afro. So it might be part of the same macro family as Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So not Semitic, mm-hmm. but Afro-Asiatic. So it's, uh, it might be related, but it's unclear. There you have it. Yeah, you heard it here first. (laughs) But enough about the name. What really happens in Pinchas? Let me tell you in a short and sweet way. (laughs) Let's hear it. Uh, Pinchas is named Pinchas because at the end of the Parsha, Pinchas, who's Aaron's grandson, uh, gets this breach shalom, this covenant of peace for zealously murdering uh, two people that maybe we'll talk about in a little bit. And there's a census and there's this incident with the daughters of Tzlofchad, who are some five women. Who, whose father dies and are not allotted uh, any inheritance because they're women and not men. So they like go to Moses and ask about what's to do. Uh, and Moses invents smicha, or laying the hands on somebody to uh, give over succession of leadership. And Moses does this to Joshua, uh, who's going to take the people into the land of Israel. And then there's this extended part at the end about the offerings and then what offerings are brought every day, which ones are brought on Shabbat, which ones are brought on the new moon, which ones are brought on Passover, Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Shmini Atzeret. 
what the F is Shmini Aseret, you might ask. Uh, I was also, Jenny and I, I was visiting Jenny at camp the other day, and she reminded me of this course that she's wanted me to create for a bunch of years called What the... I don't know if I don't know if we swear on this podcast. What the you could swear, you know, if you want to. I don't swear in my life. So you could just uh, say what in my normal life. Jenny always <laughs> says, "What in the world is Shmini Atzeret?" And as a course for people who have found themselves in the Jewish professional world and like don't know what these all these like things are, Shmini Atzeret being one example of a holiday that people don't necessarily know what's going on in it. And she said, Aaron, we're going to make it happen. We're going to do this course. So now I'm saying it on the podcast publicly and the idea is out there. So let's roll with this. I want to hear what passage you're saying alludes to Shmini at Sarah. And then we could read it aloud, maybe. Oh, yeah. Uh, let me. It's about, it's uh, the, just the sacrifices. It goes through like, there's a lot of sacrifices, especially, and you can, when you read it, you feel it that there's because uh, Sukkot is seven days long and has like a lot of sacrifices. I think they sacrifice seventy cows over the course of the whole holiday, and it's kind of sometimes referred to in the Torah as Hechag, like the holiday. Even though for us it's kind of overshadowed by uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, let's say. Those are just mentioned in passing and aren't really given so much time, but Sukkot, a lot. And what's the capstone after all this huge celebration of Sukkot? It's this eighth day of Shemini Atzeret. So let's look at what it says here. Uh, I'm looking in chap Numbers chapter 29, verse 35. Maybe we'll read a few lines to get the whole chunk. Let's do this. Do you want to switch off Hebrew and English? Sure. Okay. I'll read 35 in Hebrew. Do you have it there? Yeah, I've got it. Great. Bayom hashmini atzeret tihielachem kol malachet avodah lota asu. The eighth day shall be a time of restriction for you. You shall not perform any mundane work. We'll talk about that translation in a second. V'hikravtem ola ishe reach nichoach ladonai parechad ayelechad kvasim bnei shana shivat mimim. You shall offer up a burnt offering, a fire offering for a spirit of satisfaction of the Lord, one bull, one ram, and seven lambs in the first year, all unblemished. Uh, maybe we can pause it there. There's like, there's also, it goes on to both the meal offerings and the libations and the sin offerings of the goat. Uh, but you get the sense that there's like a sequence of offerings for this eighth day that you translated as uh, a day of withholding or something like that. That's right. It was me translating it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> because it's, but it's translating the Hebrew words. Ha Shmini Atzeret. So Shmini is eighth, and Atzeret can be translated variously. So it is related to the Hebrew word of Atzor. Like on in uh, Israel, the stop signs don't say stop; they say Atzor, which means stop. 
So atzeret is the same root. So it's like withholding, stopping, doing something. That's, I think, a, an understandable translation. So the eighth day of stopping or restricting or withholding, like that's what... <laughs> and, yeah, so it's like a little bit unclear. What is the thing that you're stopping? Uh, I think one explanation is where you're stopping. This is like the last day where you're stopping this week-long festival celebration. And also maybe it's, right, there's things that you do on Sukkot, like shake the lulav, the palm fronds and citrons and all these things. But you don't do that on Shemini Yatzeret, although even in the temple times, you only did these things on the first day. There's some like stopping of the uh, rituals of the holiday on the Yatzeret day. My translation here in the JPS says, translated as solemn gathering. Just like another way of translating Atzeret is just a day of gathering, the eighth day of gathering. So it's not a day of joy. It seems like it's about restriction. It's solemn. It's serious. There's some sort of withholding. Like it's not a, it's not a regular holiday. It's it seems to have like Yom Kippur vibes or something more <laughs> in terms of holding back a little bit. We can't give it all away here because then nobody will enroll for my course. <laughs> but. <laughs> Actually, historically, or not historically, in the Talmud, it's also connected with this Simchat Beit Eva, this water festival uh, in the temple, which is actually seems like super joyous. So even though the name suggests that, it was practiced in this way of a lot of joy. Right? These days, it's the day that we start praying for rain. So there still is some water connection to Shemini Atzeret, but like rabbis would juggle fire and like be really silly and outrageous on Shemini Yitzharit, or on Sinkhad Bedeshava, which is connected with Shemini Yitzharit. That's so funny, because all my friends who are Israeli say that they play with water balloons on Shavuot. Like, that's mm. the water balloon, water fight. Like, also, Shavuot is the other holiday in the Torah that's also referred to as Atzeret. So, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's a connection there, like, you know, do you remember the story of my most memorable Shmini Atzeret? No. Okay. Well, you Tell were there, but you weren't, you weren't there. there for all the significant things that happened. But my most significant Shmini Atzeret. Remember, a bunch of us went up to Bela Farm uh, mm-hmm. near Guelph, which is uh, run through Shoresh, the Jewish environmental community and education group out of Toronto. And if you recall, we were doing a meditation facilitated by Aviva Chernik, oh. I think, <laughs> or Rabbi Miriam Margold. You know, I'm getting that age, actually, I don't remember. It's one of the two of them. Um, I was there. You were there. There was Aviva, yeah. Aviva Chernik. Okay. And I remember us meditating, you know, in a typical, beautiful way and walking around. Mm. And then I do remember us hitting the ground. With uh, the granite sticks. With uh, willow branches. This was yes. Hashanah Rabbah, which is an, the esoteric day before Shemini Yatzeret. Okay, yes. So yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And then we were all going home, and I was we were called carpooling like good people do. And I remember I had three people in my car, and just one of them got really sick and had to oh. stop every 20, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So what was normally like a 90-minute car ride became... A five-hour and the other two people I was carpooling oh had to take an Uber because they had one of them had a Shemini at dinner, 
which I was like, oh, is that like what we're doing? Like, I guess. Um, but I just remember it's just, it was such a significant night where like then this poor friend, like I had to help them as they got sick every 20 minutes. Um, on the way home from the Shemini Yitzharit meditation festival. Wow. Uh, so that was my most, that was probably my most memorable Shemini Yitzharit because my, all my other ones don't really stick in my mind so much. Do you, mm. do you have a Shemini well, Yitzharit tradition? I don't really have a Shemini Yitzharit tradition. I just, I like what I like about your story is right. There was this thing that happened to have happened on Shemini Yitzharit. So now it like, it's nice to have a lot of, notable days to like connect connect things that just might happen in your life around those times and it's true together. that whole location has a lot of memories because we also had tisha B'Av camping there that one year oh yeah um if you can imagine i feel like really giving insight to all the random ways our religion plays out camping yeah. plus tisha B'Av, it still really made sense but it was like yeah, I guess no, it was the day before Kishbab, I think. Um so that's one another memory in that same location. And then also your Sheva Bracha. That's right. We had one at that same campground. Mm-hmm. Um and we had this beautiful decorated barn and it felt like it felt like it was your second wedding, really. Like it was so beautiful and yeah. nice. It was a nice time. Yeah, actually I think two of those were in the same year, two of those stories. The, your wedding thing and the and the Shmini Yitzharit thing. Um, mm-hmm. Same Jewish year. Okay, yeah, I'm trying to remember now. But yeah, just mm-hmm. uh, a lot of significant things happened in that wonderful farm. Highly recommended. Y'all should go up to Bela Farm. No matter where you're listening from, pilgrimage there is highly recommended. So, we covered a lot of things, Paul. We yeah. talked about this the snake connected to Pinchas. Uh, and we went up to Bela Farm with our friend who's, we have one friend who's named Pinny. Shout out to Pinny, whose yeah. full name is Pinchas. Uh, and then we spoke about the end part of the Parsha. That was the beginning of Pinchas and the end was Shmini Atzeret. And we spoke about connecting times and holidays. And I think also I mentioned at the beginning, like talking about how the Parsha and the Torah and our cycles of the Jewish year can help us feel connected to the flow of time and can sometimes be grounding anchors. So that's one appreciation that I'm coming away with from our learning together. Me too. That's a nice tying together of threads. Well, then on that note, we'll uh, kind of end it there. As always, I've been Paul Saleka. And I'm Aaron Rotenberg. Have a wonderful week.